In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. Our Lord praises those who keep their word. One word of honour should be sufficient guarantee. In our Lord's time, the practice of oath-taking had fallen into disrepute due to the frequency and lack of seriousness with which oaths were taken. Our Lord opposed that custom. And with the formula, but I say to you, which he frequently used, to show the divine origin of what he was saying, he forbade calling on God to witness not only a lie, but also to those matters where a person's word ought to have been enough. And so our Lord gives great importance to honesty, to integrity. Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile, he said about Nathaniel, later called Bartholomew. He said, the devil is a liar and the father of lies. And he proclaimed himself to be the way, the truth and the life. To take an oath, that is to say, to call upon God to witness to the truth of what we are saying, or as a guarantor of a promise, is lawful and at times necessary. Where are circumstances warranted? It's then an act of virtue of religion and redounds to the honour and the glory of God. The prophet Jeremiah tells us that swearing in truth, in justice and in uprightness is pleasing to God. What we state must be true. Spoken prudently and not lightly or rashly, and must refer to something just and good. When there is no pressing need, our word as Christians and as honourable men and women should be sufficient because of our being known as people who seek the truth and keep our promises. We want to be loyal and faithful to Christ, to whatever, whatever commitments we have freely taken on, also to our family and friends, and to those who employ us. In most situations in life, to give our word 
would be an inadequate guarantee of our truthfulness and fidelity. But for this to be so, we have to be truthful in little things, willing to correct our mistakes and fulfill our commitments. We can ask ourselves to the members of our family, our friends, our workmates, do they know us to be loyal and faithful? Do they know that we will never tell a lie, even a joking way, to achieve some good or to avoid some evil? And so we have to try and practice love for the truth, always and in every circumstance. Christ attacked hypocrisy and falsehood very forcefully. Truthfulness is one of the virtues he praised most. Behold an Israelite in whom there is no guile. He spoke of himself as being the way, the truth, and the life. And the devil as the, a liar and a father of lies. And so people who follow our Lord must be honourable and sincere in their doings. They have to avoid deceitful behaviour and be truthful in their dealings with both God and men. Truth is taught by word and example. Truth is taught by word and example. Our Lord is a witness of his Father, of the Apostles and the first Christians. And now we are witnesses of Christ to a world that needs a living testimony. But how will our friends and colleagues believe the truths we wish to pass on to them? unless our own lives are based on a real love for the truth. That's one of the reasons why we have to have a hatred for every lie. Try and make a resolution never to tell a lie for the rest of your life. We ought to be able to say with Christ that we have come into the world to bear witness to the truth at a time when many use lies and deceit to achieve promotion or a greater degree of material well-being, to avoid commitment or sacrifice, or simply through cowardice and lack of human virtue. Our Lord taught us that love for the truth is a necessary quality for being his follower. Such love brings peace because the truth will make you free. We need to be exemplary in this matter. 
being ready to live our lives and build up our material wealth and do our job with a great love for the truth. We have to love the truth and also put effort into finding it and do the apostle of truth and challenge organizations when truth may seem to be lacking. A number of years ago in a certain country, there was a, an organization that was set up, which was National Truth in the Media Campaign. Interesting initiative. At times blinded by sin, passion, pride, and materialism, we won't find it unless we love it. It can be easy to fall in with a lie when it comes, as it may be disguised or might be open as a means to achieving more prestige or get ahead in our, in our profession. When we're faced with temptation, no matter how it presents itself, we have to recall the clear, unambiguous teaching of Christ. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. We're obliged in justice to be truthful and also out of respect and love for our neighbour. The dignity of other people demands it. That same respect for those listening to us will bring us sometimes not to express our own ideas and opinions indiscreetly, but to take into account their age and also their degree of formation. Now for the truth which someone has confided to us will bring us to be morally upright in cases of professional secrecy or discretion or with the person's right to privacy. If necessary, we should ask advice about how to behave when confronted with someone who wants information to which they have no right. I heard of a journalist once who called a professional person and asked this person if he was of this opinion or that opinion or if he belonged to this organization or that organization. And the person said, well, I won't affirm it and I won't deny it. In other words, he was saying that really it's not your position to know. When we give our words, our word, in a certain sense, we give ourselves. We put on the line what is most intimate to ourselves. And so in spite of personal feelings, a true disciple and follower of Christ will be honest and loyal, a man of his word. In the church, Christians are called the faithful. And this term underlines the state acquired by members of the people of God through baptism. But a person who inspires confidence and we can trust can also be called faithful. 
people like others to live up to the confidence placed in them, to the demands of love, friendship, or duty. That kind of person keeps their word. In scripture, the term faithful is also applied to God himself because no one is more worthy of trust than he. God is always faithful to his promises. He never fails to keep his word. In St. Paul to the Corinthians, we're told God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your strength. And so whoever keeps his word is faithful. The person who fulfills their commitments to God and to others is loyal. But our society often falls into doubt and relativism. Many people, irrespective of their age, are often ignorant of the noble obligation to keep their word, to fulfill the commitments they once assumed with complete freedom, or to behave in accordance with the decisions that they have made before God and man in civil or religious life. Difficulties may arise, but the faith and teaching of the church and the example of the saints show us that it is possible to live these virtues. God does not deny his grace to those who do what they can. And so we must be firmly convinced and help others to have the same conviction that it is possible to live all the virtues with all the demands they may make. Sometimes we might hear of an idea that is in vogue, that virtues and commitments are ideals, are goals to aim at, but without much hope of attaining them. We could ask our Lord that we might never fall into that error. A Christian who is loyal will not cave in when upright moral behavior imposes or seems to impose serious difficulties. We have the great example of St. Thomas More that the church has given to us. This is not the stuff of which martyrs were made, he said, very aware of his own limitations. And so we can ask God for an upright conscience. One who gives in may desire in theory to practice a particular virtue, may wish not to sin, but in practice considers that when the temptation is great or the difficulty serious, he is more or less justified in giving in. This can happen in one's work situation. Or when faced with the obligation to react energetically, when sensuality threatens to supervene, or when a serious effort has to be made to finance the children's education, 
or to be faithful to one's spouse or to one's vocation. Our Lord tells us in St. Matthew, the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. The greatest praise we could receive would be that we have been faithful to Christ. That Christ can rely on us no matter what present or future circumstances may bring. That our friends can know that we will not let them down. That society can trust us knowing that we will keep our word and fulfill our obligations freely and responsibly. One writer says, when making a night journey by train, have you never thought how the lives of hundreds of persons are in the hands of the driver and the signalman, who in spite of hunger and thirst must stay at their posts? The life of a whole country, the life of the world, depends on the fidelity of men in fulfilling their duties at work and in society, and in adhering to their contracts and being faithful to their word. And all this without having to call upon God as a witness, but simply as upright and loyal citizens. And so may your yes be yes and your no be no. Honourable people, loyal and fulfilling small daily duties, without recourse to lies or deceit at work, being simple and prudent, fleeing all murkiness, open and plain in what we say or do. And this is a wonderful virtue to instill in young people a love for the truth, no matter what the consequences. If we are loyal to our fellow men, well then with God's grace we will be loyal to Christ. And that is what really counts. We're told in St. Luke, he was faithful in every little, is faithful also in much. We won't be upright and faithful to Christ unless we're loyal in our everyday human dealings. It's very pleasant when a friend comes to us in the midst of some difficulty and says, well, you can count on me. And so in our prayer, with simplicity and with an awareness of our weakness, we can approach our Lord and say, Lord, you can count on me. We could use the same words as an aspiration throughout the day. We could ask Our Lady, who is also virgin most faithful, to help us to be loyal and faithful each and every day in fulfilling our obligations and duties. The Lord is truth 
in all its fullness. The truth comes to us from him. Christ's teaching, his life and his death, all constitute a testimonial to the truth. Whoever has the truth is of God, and hears the word of God. Truth has its origin in God. Falsehood has its source in opposition to God. That's why Jesus calls the devil the father of lies, since he was the first liar. And so as a result, he who lies has the devil for his father. The church reproves not only the liar, who by his lie hurts others, she also disapproves of those who lie for recreation or entertainment, as well as those who lie for the sake of worldly interests. Even this, and even if no one appears to, to suffer as a result. The lack of honesty to be found in lying or hypocrisy or in leading such a double life as insincerity involves is a manifestation of interior discord. A man or a woman who live like this is like a broken bell, discordant and out of tune. Our Lord showed his appreciation for authenticity on many times. Behold, a true Israelite in which there is no, in whom there is no guile. Our Lord wants to be able to say that about every Christian. We live in a time when our culture puts a great premium on sincerity. And yet, this period of the world's history has become known as a time of falsehood and of lying. Among others, said Cardinal Luciani, later Pope John Paul I, the list of impostors includes those members of the press who, spreading a scandalous indiscretions and slanderous insinuations, appeal to people's lowest instincts, gradually corrupting their moral sense. To the press, he says, one could add movies, radio, television, these instruments, useful in themselves, when handled by shrewd operators, bombard people with sounds and colours and hidden persuasion, which is all the more effective because of being hidden. Such media are capable, little by little, of making the best fathers hated by their children, of making white seem black, and vice versa. Well, this may be how the habits of thought and customs of people are being transformed in our culture. Whenever possible, we should try and use the means of communication to give sound doctrine to society as a whole. 
a letter to a newspaper or a phone call to a radio programme, it's within everybody's reach. This is one of the ways whereby we spread truth. We should try and stress those ideas which have a transcendental importance for social progress. The defense of life from its conception, the dignity of the family and of the person, social justice, the right to work, due concern for the weakest members of society. In many cases, we can communicate these ideas well, in simple ways, in a short three-line letter to a newspaper, or making that telephone call to a radio station, or by participating in opinion polls or on radio programmes, or also making our views known to our public representatives. These are the means available to us to show our approval or our disapproval of a program or an article that either reinforces fundamental human morality or fails to do so. These may seem small measures, but many small measures can add up to a considerable impact on the media. I knew a man a few years ago who phoned into a radio program because he was impressed with the family pro-family orientation that there was. And the following day, he was surprised. He got a, a call back from the compare of the show, thanking him for phoning in. Sometimes we think the whole country is phoning into these programs, but the reality may be that nobody is. And the compare thanked him because he said, I had to struggle a lot with my producer to be able to give this orientation to the program. And your phoning in has made a big difference. It's helped a lot. And so in our day, there's a special need for men and women in the middle of the world who are true to their word, who live a unity of life, who refuse to hide from the consequences of their beliefs, who will not be conditioned to fall in with the opinions or ways of other people. St. Thomas Aquinas teaches that truthfulness is the virtue that inclines us to speak the truth always and to manifest outwardly what we think inwardly. There are times also when we're not under any obligation to speak the truth and where in fact we may be bound not to reveal it. Such cases can be situations of professional matters or national security or other serious issues. An important area where this also applies has to do with the sacramental seal of confession whatever relates to spiritual direction. There are ways of withholding the truth without having to lie. Situations arise also in which information is being sought about a matter 
the inquirer has no business asking about. There may also be extreme cases of an aggressive inquisitor. One spiritual writer says, let us remember that often it is our own fault if we're asked indiscreet questions. If we were more recollected and silent, people would not, not ask them of us, or at least they do so only rarely. And so we can try and imitate our Lord in his love for the truth. We should try and shun all types of falsehood, falsehood or anything that has the odour of hypocrisy. And so St. Maria in 40337 says, you were reading in that dictionary the synonyms for insincere, two-faced, surreptitious, evasive, disingenuous, sly. As you close the book, you ask the Lord that nobody would ever be able to apply those adjectives to you. And you resolve to improve much more in the supernatural and human virtue of sincerity. And so we can ask Our Lady, who pondered all these things carefully in our heart, that she too might help us to ponder the importance of our love for the truth and to put that into practice on a daily basis. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you have communicated to me during this meditation. I ask your help to put them into practice. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.